are going to dive into seven woes of Jesus. When we were in California this summer, we saw some surfers. Every time I hear the word woe, I think about a surfer that sees a sweet wig come in like, whoa. You all know this is a different kind of woe. It's spelled different, and it means something different. As Jesus says, these, these woes, it's not a joy at a great wave. It, it's W-O-E. It, it, it's his righteous anger and his sorrow for the way the religious leaders in Israel were responding to him and failing to lead their people. A.T. Robertson looks at this passage and he called it the rolling thunder of Jesus. He said it's a needed balance for us. If you think Jesus is only meek and mild, you need to look at passages like this. He, he has righteous <coughs> anger. And especially in this case at these leaders who are leading his sheep astray. Over and over, and we'll see it this week and next week, he's going to use the word hypocrite. 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 And that culture would refer to actors in a play. Actors in their plays would often wear masks. They would pretend to be something that they weren't really. There was this pretending aspect to hypocrisy. So as we go through these woes, we're gonna look at the first four this morning. It's a time of year where a lot of us are thinking about, Lord, what needs to change in my life, right? I'm gonna frame it as four things to avoid in 2024. We're gonna look at those first four this morning. But we're also going to look at what would these areas look like if God redeemed them in our lives and, and we turned them around by the Holy Spirit and lived the way he, he wants us to. Because I want there to be an aspect of hope here as well. Not only what to run away from, but what do you want for me, God? So jump with me into verse 13 of Matthew 23. Woe number one. I sum this one up as you pretend to bring people to God, but in reality, you push them away. Listen to what he says. Verse 13, woe to you, scribes and Pharisees, hypocrites, for you shut the kingdom of heaven in people's faces, for you neither enter yourselves nor allow those who would enter to go in. You might say, well, in what way were these leaders shutting the kingdom of heaven in people's faces? I can think of at least three. The first one is the most obvious. They, they opposed Jesus publicly, right? They opposed the only way to heaven. And since they were the leaders, sadly, many followed them. Secondly, they minimized sin especially in their own lives. They were so confident in their own works. And they taught others the same mindset. What's that do? It does away with the need for a savior when we minimize sin. The third one I think of is their, their attitude toward others that weren't like them. They, they, they neglected love. 
for others. These are three of the ways they, they shut the kingdom of heaven in people's faces. I think of Luke eleven fifty two. Jesus says, Woe to you, for you have taken away the key of knowledge. You did not enter yourselves, and you hindered those who were entering. You might be saying, what's that have to do with the church of Jesus in, in 2024? There's a warning here for all kinds of religious people. Shutting the kingdom of heaven in people's faces, I believe, can slip even into the church today. Think about the areas I mentioned. Minimizing sin. We can do that today. If in our preaching and the message you spread to people you know, if, if we focus on, hey, just be good enough. All you got to do is do all these good things and, and you can get to heaven. Just, just be better. Focus on self-righteousness. That still happens in churches today. Or downplay sin. I'm okay. You're okay. What's the big deal? God, God wants you to be true to yourself, right? Think about both of those things. They might seem the loving thing to do. Tell someone you can earn salvation or, or downplay their sin. Why? Because they make people comfortable. They make people comfortable. Let me ask you a question. Is it loving to make people comfortable on the road to hell? Is that loving? No. We can minimize sin. We can minimize Jesus, even in the church today. How do we do that? If, if we preach a bunch of morality only, do this, don't do that. We share flowery stories that make people feel good. But we rarely preach Jesus Christ. Or we preach a watered-down version of Jesus when we do. We can minimize Jesus even today. We can also neglect love. We can neglect to love God and love others, both in the church and in the world. We can preach the truth, but have a cold and bitter heart toward people. So what's the opposite we need to do with the help of the Holy Spirit? We need to be realistic about sin. Think of Romans 3. Verse 10, none is righteous, no, not one. No one understands, no one seeks for God. All have turned aside, together they have become worthless. No one does good, not even one. And then, of course, down to verse 23, for all have sinned and fall short of the glory of God. What's that mean? It means that even the super religious cannot save themselves. It also means that no one, not one of us, including me, can ignore their sin. Listen, let's not be those who stop at telling them about their sin. If you stop at only telling them about their sin, you're like the Pharisees. Remember what Jesus said in Matthew 23, 4? They tie up heavy burdens, hard to bear, and lay them on people's shoulders, but they themselves are not willing to move them with their finger. Does your message to the world, does your message on Facebook stop at confronting them with their sin? Or does it go on to the Savior? 
Because you know it's the Savior that makes it good news. And it's good news that we're here to share. Right? Be realistic about sin. Second, lift Jesus up. Lift him up. The, the God-man, his, his grace and his truth. The salvation that he came to bring. Don't stop at Romans 3.23. Go on to Romans 3.24. 3.23, all have sinned and fall short of the glory of God. We get to verse 24. And they're justified by his grace as a gift through the redemption that's in Christ Jesus, whom God put forward as a propitiation by his blood to be received by faith. Don't leave that out. Lift Jesus up. And third, let's be those in the church next door who keep love alive. <clears throat> love for God, love for the person next to you this morning, and love for people in the world. I want to issue a challenge first on this front. As I look at the years of the church next door, one thing the church next door has always done well is love each other as a multi-generational church. What a blessing to have all ages fellowshipping here, right? From, from the, the youthful zeal up to the wisdom of the elderly. I love that we come together as multiple generations, but we live in a world where the generations are warring. Just, just look online. The young speak poorly of the old. The old speak poorly of the young. I want our church to be different. I want our church to be a lighthouse whose love transcends all differences, including generations. So I want to talk to two groups in this challenge. It's a loving challenge as we go into the days ahead as the church next door. First, I want to speak to adults without children. We're glad you're here. Maybe even empty nesters. We're glad you're here. What does this love for other generations look like for you? It, it's loving families with kids by remembering, A, what it, what it was like to be a kid. Do you remember what it was like to be a kid in church? Or B, trying to remember what it was like to be in the middle of parenting. Remembering what those years were like. It, it's an understanding smile when you hear a child make a noise in service. Just smile. It's praying for that parent next to you with their hands full. And thanking God that they are here with the next generation. Worshiping with us. And it's acknowledging that there are very well maybe more going on in that child's life than we even have a clue. Okay? It's, it, it's taking the time to look those kids in the eye before or after service and and ask them, how, how are you doing? To show them that, that the older generation cares about them and is glad they're part of the body. I want to talk to us parents. What does it look like for parents of kids, including my family? We're in that boat. We got three. To, to love those who are here without children. It's loving others by keeping in mind that, that our family's not the only ones here. There are other families aiming to, to worship as well. So, listen, while a quiet whisper is normal, 
getting up to go to the bathroom when needed is normal. Even the occasional surprise outburst, it happens to our family sometimes. It's all part of the journey, okay? Our family's been there. But acknowledging all that, it does mean admitting to ourselves as parents and explaining to our kids that, that there's a line. There's a line, and if we cross it in a way that unneededly distracts others, we may need to go outside of service and, and talk about that, because we're not just here for us. There's a lot of people here trying to, to worship. For everybody, including both those groups, it's getting outside of our own experience. We tend to see things only through our own eyes. How was church for me? Right? It means getting outside of that and putting ourselves in the shoes of others, asking not what's wrong with them, why don't they understand my needs, but asking how can I love them well? How can I love them well, even though they're different than me? That's a challenge. Can we take that up going forward as a church, keep it up, keeping a loving church that welcomes all generations? I pray so. Here's a commendation. A couple weeks ago, we had a, a visitor here from the Converge Missions Agency who Matt and Christy are working with. This guy came. He said he visits lots of churches because he, he consults with a lot of pastors. And he said, you wouldn't believe how many churches we visit where no one says a word to us. He said, I want to share an encouraging word with you, Pastor. Church next door was just the opposite. It seemed that everybody wanted to welcome us. And it, and it got... To the point where I started thinking about, boy, I need to find my seat before service starts. But all these people kept loving on us. He said that was wonderful. That's testimony to the love in here. I want to say keep it up. Don't, don't let that slide. Don't let it grow cold. Don't let it become all about me or all about you. I heard another story from uh, Mike's mom, Shirley. Her husband's in rehab right now, and I went to see him this week and prayed with him, and I called her and told her, and she said, you know what, I want to just tell you how excited we are to be at church next door. She said, that church is like a family. Shirley came into church one morning, and she told me about this morning. She said, as soon as she got in, somebody said, how's your husband? I'm praying for him. And that meant the world to her. Then this person went on to say, can I get you a cup of coffee? And Shirley said, No. No, I can get it myself. And, and the, the person responded, oh, we're a full-service church. I'll get it. They went, and they got Shirley a cup of coffee. And then this one, you talk about generations coming together. She spilled her coffee later on. And you know what meant the world to her? She said two teenage boys in this congregation ran and got napkins and cleaned it up for her. She said there's something special going on there. I feel loved when I go there, and I just want to say, keep it up. So what's the solution to, to shutting the door of the kingdom of heaven in people's places? I sum it up this way. Be a bellhop, not a bouncer. <laughs> Be a bellhop, not a bouncer. What do I mean by that? Show words and actions that communicate hate. Let me show you the way. Let me walk with you. I'll show you the way versus attitudes or actions that communicate you're not supposed to be here. Let's be bellhops, not bouncers. Woe number two. 
You pretend to make children of God, but in reality, you make children of hell. Verse 15, woe to you, scribes and Pharisees, hypocrites, for you travel across sea and land to make a single proselyte, a single convert, and, and when he becomes a proselyte, you make him twice as much a child of hell as yourself. I don't know what the look on the faces of the Pharisees was when they heard this, but I'm guessing some of them were like, child of hell, making children of hell. Jesus, we're the holy men. You don't know who you're talking to. We make other holy men. They say, what did Jesus mean when he said they were making children of hell? Well, I think about words he said in John chapter 8, verse 44. He told a group, he said, you are of your father, the devil. And your will is to do your father's desires. And I think about the desires and characteristics of the devil. One of them rises to the top. You know what I think about? Pride. Pride. Think about Isaiah 14, where I believe it recounts the fall of Lucifer from heaven. What did he say? Isaiah 14, 14. I will ascend above the heights of the clouds. I will make myself like the most high. And then, of course, the parable Pastor Daniel mentioned last week, the Pharisee and the tax collector praying, and the Pharisee in Luke 18, 11 said, God, I thank you that I'm not like other men. What was this? This was pride that saw oneself as, as superior. And look down on all others as far beneath them. And they pass this pride on to their followers. Their mission, it wasn't just to make Jews, not only to lead people to follow God's commands. They wanted people who followed all their hundreds of additions to the commands as well. And walked proudly alongside with them. I like what William Hendrickson said here. He said, it was not their purpose merely to change a Gentile into a Jew. No. He must become a full-fledged, legalistic, ritualistic, hair-splitting Pharisee. <laughs> One filled with fanatical zeal for his new salvation by works religion. That's what they were after. So how do we take this to heart today? Well, I think about the reality that, that we tend to reproduce what we are. By grace, it, it, it sometimes doesn't happen that way, but in general, we tend to reproduce what we are. So think about it. If we're prideful, if we're divisive, if we're legalistic, chances are that's what those who follow us are going to be like. Right? We start to act as though our church is the only right church in the Quad Cities. Beware. Or my side of this theological debate about this secondary matter is the only way. And everyone else who sees it differently is either evil or immature. Beware. Or I know the Bible doesn't say anything specific about this, but you need to follow my choices in this matter if you're going to be right with God. Think about what Max Lucado wrote. He said, legalism has no pity on people. Legalism makes my opinion your burden, makes my opinion your boundary, makes my opinion your obligation. 
we tend to reproduce what we are. Beware. But it works in a positive direction, too. If by the power of the Holy Spirit you're walking with Christ, full of truth and humility, Lord willing, that's what your followers will become. What Paul say? 1 Corinthians 11, 1. Be imitators of me as I am of Christ. But you say, one hang up, don't we preach kind of an exclusive message as Christians? Yeah, we do. John 14, 6, no one comes to the Father except by me. Jesus said, I'm the, the only way. So what's the solution here? Being prideful children of hell that make other prideful children of hell. Share the exclusive message of Jesus as a humble messenger. You didn't do anything to earn that message. You've heard it said, and I have. We're just like beggars that found bread telling other beggars where the bread is. 2 Corinthians 10, 17, let the one who boasts, boast in the Lord. I like the attitude of John Newton, the, the former slave ship captain. He repented of his evil and came to Christ and found his grace, wrote amazing grace. You know what he said? He said, when I get to heaven, I shall see three wonders there. The first wonder will be to see many people there whom I did not expect to see. The second wonder will be to miss many people whom I did expect to see. And the third and greatest wonder of all will be to find myself there. If we can hold to that kind of humility as we share the exclusive message of Jesus, we'll be on the right track to making children of God rather than children of hell. Woe number three. You pretend to care about your promises. But in reality, you play stupid games with the truth. Let me say that again. You pretend to care about your promises, but in reality, you play stupid games with the truth. Verse 16, woe to you blind guides. This is where we get the idea of the blind leading the blind. Wait a minute, not me. No, yes, not physically, but spiritually. Good clarification, kid. Woe to you, blind guides. And watch the games they, they play with the truth about their promises. And if anyone swears by the temple, it's nothing. So I can make a, a promise by the temple, and hey, I don't got to keep my word. But if anyone swears by the gold of the temple, then he's bound by his oath. Jesus doesn't like these games. He says, you blind fools. For which is greater, the gold or the temple that's made the gold sacred? Verse 18, you say, if anyone swears by the altar, it's nothing. So if I make a promise by the altar, hey, I can find my way out of it. But if anyone swears by the gift on the altar, he's bound by his own. Jesus doesn't like this either. He says, you blind men, for which is greater, the gift or the altar that makes the gift sacred? And I think about, what are they doing? They're like compartmentalizing their promises, right? Looking for loopholes. I've only got to keep my word if I say it this way, but if I don't, I can get out. And I think about kids on the playground, right? These are adults, but this is very childish. Like, when I was a kid, you know, somebody would tell you something, and then you'd hold them to it and say, oh, oh my fingers were crossed. Yeah. <laughs> right? The adult version of that sometimes is, hey, I, I never signed a contract. 
I'll tell you something for the Christian is handshake should be as good as a contract. Sometimes we compartmentalize our promises. We, we think of big lies and, and white lies, right? I read a story this week about a bank employee who was due for a promotion. He was due for a promotion and the, the president was behind him in line in the bank cafeteria. And he saw this bank employee, when he got to the cafeteria line, he, he took two pats of butter and hid it under his bread so the cashier wouldn't see it and charge him for two. You know what happened? The president decided not to give that man his promotion. The reason if he can't be trusted in the small, I'm not going to trust him with the large. And I think about that. I want us to know we have a God who cares about honesty in all things. In all things. He doesn't like these games with the truth. You remember Luke 5, 37? Let, let what you say be simply yes or no. Anything more than this comes from evil. I think about 3 John, verse 4. I have no greater joy than to hear that my children are, are walking in the truth. And I read that, I say, don't just dabble in the truth. Walk in it. How? Well, I think we've got to examine why are we sometimes tempted to lie as humans. I think about that. Why are we sometimes tempted to lie? And I think about a story Bob, Bob Phillips wrote down. He spoke about a, a pastor who looked at his congregation one week and he says, hey, I want you all to go home this week and I want you to read Joshua chapter 25. And they came to church the next week and he asked, how many of you read Joshua 25? And people looking around and start slipping their hands up. He says, uh, you with the hands up, you're the group I wanted to speak to. Joshua only has 24 chapters. <laughs> and I'm especially concerned about you. <laughs> what, do you what do you suppose it was that led them to do that? They, they wanted to please the people around them, to give that appearance. They were, they were concerned with what the people around them or the pastor would think. Jesus gives us the solution. To that starting in verse 20. So whoever swears by the altar swears by it and by everything on it. Whoever swears by the temple, listen, swears by it and by him who dwells in it. And whoever swears by heaven swears by the throne of God and by him who sits upon it. It's a solution to playing games with the truth. Stop compartmentalizing our lives. Realize every thought, every word, every deed is before an all-knowing God who loves you. Stop compartmentalizing. Whether you eat or drink or whatever you do, do all to the glory of God. 1 Corinthians 10, 31. Final one. Woe number four. You pretend to be holy, but you missed the heart of it. What, what were they good at? They, they, they majored on the minors, and they minored on the majors. That's what you see starting in verse 23 here. Woe to you, scribes and Pharisees, hypocrites. For you tied mint and dill and cumin 
and have neglected the weightier matters of the law, justice and mercy and faithfulness. These you ought to have done without neglecting the others. Now, if you look back in the Old Testament, the, the tithe that they were told to, to bring in, it was in the context of their three main crops in Israel, their food crops, and that tithe helped to support the workers in the temple. There was no mention of little herbs like mint and dill and cumin, but it's no surprise that the Pharisees added that, and you, you can imagine them. I don't know what kind of tool they used in their little kitchen garden to, to take a tent off of there and and how they, they carried it down to the temple or whatever. He, he says, you do that. But you're not just or merciful to the people around you. You're, you're unfair and, and you're harsh toward people. Snip, snip, snip. Like you hate people and you're not faithful to God. You got this religious ritual going on, but you're missing the heart you know what it reminds me of? It reminds me of Jonah in the Old Testament bemoaning his, his plant getting eaten by the worm all while failing to show mercy to a whole city of people that God was bringing to repentance. So Jesus looks at him and he says, you blind guides straightening out a gnat and swallowing a camel. The picture is somewhat humorous, but the tragedy of it takes some of the laughter off of it. You strain out a gnat and swallowing a camel. What's he talking about straining out gnats? Gnats were unclean. They would often come around when you're making wine. So before a Pharisee would drink that wine, they'd run that wine through a gauze filter time after time after time. Because I don't want a gnat in there. He says you do that, but you, you swallow a camel. The picture is humorous. I won't eat that little gnat, but... Come in, camel. I'm going to keep out these little sins. I'm, I'm going to make sure I do these little things, but you're missing it on the big stuff, guys. You're, you're majoring on the minors, and you're minoring on the majors. I think about it like if any of you go to a restaurant today where they have the steak, and say you get a 16-ounce porterhouse, and it's got a little piece of parsley on it, and you're sitting there with your party, and and, and you spend the first 15 minutes and then half an hour, and you're just cutting this parsley into little pieces and eating it, and it comes time for the check. What are the people around you going to say? Mm. What are you doing, man? You got a 16-ounce porterhouse there, and you spend the whole time working on the parsley. <laughs> That's messed up. <laughs> right? What are you saying to them? It's amazing how we can seek to get it right in a tiny area while being totally blind to a huge one in our lives, in our hearts. I think about this, and I think about a story that was recorded in the Dallas Times-Herald, 1966, going back a ways. Man went to a fried chicken restaurant, ordered some fried chicken, and they handed him his box, and he left, and and he opened it expecting to see his chicken, and he saw in there a bunch of money. Evidently, the manager had put that day's deposit in a box oh to take to the bank and got them mixed up. But this man in the car, unlike a lot of people, he's like, I better take that back. So he took it back to the restaurant, and the manager says, hey, thank you so much. we got to call the local newspaper, and we got to get a picture of you. This is awesome. And the guy said, don't do that, please. 
And the manager says, why? And, and the guy says, well, the woman I'm with is not my wife. <laughs> True story. True story. He got it on the restaurant deposit all while being unfaithful to his wife at home. I think about our ability to do this, to, to focus on the religious ritual and miss the heart. And I think about, like, this is the man raising hands as he sings on Sunday morning. Then he goes home that afternoon and uses those same hands to bruise his wife and his children. This is the, the woman who sings praises in the morning through her lips, but then at lunch goes, goes and shares that juicy tidbit of gossip about that other woman in the church. This is, this is the young person who gazes at the cross during service, but as soon as they get in the vehicle on the way home, they're, they're gazing at porn on their phone. And I think about it, religious ritual aside, Sunday service aside, here's the question I think Jesus is looking at. If people only look at my behavior and actions outside of Sunday morning, would anyone know I'm a Christ follower? Would anyone know? What's the solution here? The solution is inside-out transformation. Let God have all of your heart. And the little stuff will follow. You want to tell the Pharisees, don't tithe? I'm not saying don't come to church, but let them have your whole heart. And the little stuff will follow. Matthew 22, 36, teacher, which is the great commandment in the law. And he said, and you shall love the Lord your God with all your heart. Inside out transformation. As we wrap up this morning, I want us to close our eyes and I want to walk through them again. I want to invite God to work through his Holy Spirit where he wishes in this room. Woe number one was you pretend to bring people to God, but in reality you push them away. The solution was be a bellhop, not a bouncer. Any of us where God needs to work on that this morning. We've been shutting the kingdom of heaven in people's faces by our words. Or our actions. Lord, bring us to confession. Bring us to repentance. Turn it around. Number two, you pretend to make children of God, but in reality, you make children of hell because you're full of pride. What was the solution we talked about? To share the exclusive message of Jesus Christ as a, a humble messenger. God, help us. Well, number three, you pretend to care about your promises, but in reality, you play stupid games with the truth. Solution, stop compartmentalizing our lives. Realize that every thought, word, and deed is before an all-knowing God who loves us. We live for an audience of one. Finally, well, number four, you pretend to be holy, but you miss the heart. You major on the minors and miss the majors. May we be those who pray, Lord, transform me from the inside out. I'm tired of the mask. I'm tired of the Sunday morning show. I give you my heart. And I trust that the little stuff will follow. Some of us are saying, I see some of this in my life, and I want to change how. 
confess. Trust in Jesus Christ as your Savior and Lord. Repent of sin and rely on the Holy Spirit. Rely on the Holy Spirit he sends to live in his children. You see, the solution is not your resolution. It's not my resolution. The solution is his provision of the Holy Spirit. I'll close with Ezekiel eleven nineteen. He says, I will give them one heart and a new spirit I will put within them. I will remove the heart of stone from their flesh and give them a heart of flesh. Father, I pray that you'd have your way for your glory this morning. We confess the many ways we fall short. I include myself there. Your words to the Pharisees were recorded, at least partially, that they might convict our souls today. Purge us of the show, of the mask. Take over by your Holy Spirit. May we be those who reflect Christ to a watching world. Those who live a full life in Jesus and bring others along for the ride because you're at work within us. That's our desire for your glory. Amen.